Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, what does it mean to be a modern warrior? First off, the elephant in the room. Warrior isn't a dirty word. A warrior is mindful. They seek excellence and have learnt to control their aggression. It's about understanding leadership, developing individual resilience, and seeking consistent human optimization. Remember, lifting heavy isn't dangerous. Being weak is dangerous. Fortune favors the brave, and you're never given more than you can handle. This, then, is the Warrior You podcast. All call signs. Ready, ready, ready. Let's roll! G'day gang. So this week on the Warrior You podcast, Trent and I are talking to Mamta Saha. She's a leading psychologist and executive coach with a background in human psychology, behavioral development and media psychology. She's also fully qualified to administer psychometrics, including the Myers-Briggs personality type indicator, all that sort of stuff. Having been brought up by her grandmother who practiced meditation twice a day for over two decades, Mumta found that similar values were instilled in her from a young age, creating spirituality and awareness within her that would later form the foundation of her career. Now, Mumta's bold and practical insights on psychology, lifestyle, well-being and spirituality have been recognized by global publications including The Guardian, Vogue Arabia, BBC London and of course The Gulf News. Now one thing that makes Mamta so unique is her knowledge of and I guess her interest in blending Eastern wisdom with Western psychology to create life-enhancing practices that can be applied to everyday life in both personal and professional capacities. She uses this concept when working with top industry executives by introducing them to methodologies and beliefs from the Eastern world to help them find mindfulness, inner peace, and their true purpose. This is really aligned with myself and Trent's uh, vision as well for hindsight, leadership, and resilience, and the warrior, stoic sort of background. So Mamta encourages individuals to be fearless, authentic, and anchored living by the motto, know your mind, love your body, trust your heart, breathe it all in, and live your authentic truth. Mamta Saha, welcome to the podcast, and where does the podcast find you today? So I am in Dubai at the moment, Bram. Oh, lovely. Whereabouts in Dubai, roughly speaking? So I'm in a place called Barsha 3, oh, nice. which is about... Yeah, 10 minutes from the beach, mm. about five minutes from the Mall of the Emirates. Lovely. That must be hard to take. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. The Let's, tough life. Indeed. <laughs> Let's get straight into it then. I'd love your definition of mindfulness if we, if we could. Absolutely. So my definition of mindfulness is when we are consciously aware of what is happening within us and our thoughts and our feelings and around us without placing judgment on all of those things. Okay, so is it the same then as, as reflection or is it, is it deeper than, than just reflecting on something? And I, I often say that a reflection is just, is just a daydream unless you have actionable outcomes based on the reflection. I'm, I'm sort of wondering if the two are similar, mindfulness and reflection. I'd say it's deeper than reflection. I mean, reflection, it can be deep in itself, but 
it's deeper in that it's about the present moment. So it's not about thinking and reflecting on the present moment. It's about being in the present moment without any filters of judgment. Right. What, what do you mean by judgment? So we often subconsciously place judgment on um, the situation that we find ourselves in or things that we might have been through, you know, come out of a difficult meeting or a conversation or there's some news that we didn't want to hear or maybe we heard some news that we did want to hear and we place judgment on it subconsciously, meaning that our internal narrative, so the little voices in our mind, will project and often reflect on, oh, that was good, that was bad, oh, I didn't want it to be like that, or I'm not really comfortable with where I am right now. The mindfulness is not about not having a, any of those little voices or that internal narrative. It's just noticing them. So it's one step beyond that. Okay, and so... Is it right to say then that we can make ourselves more resilient by by being mindful, uh, resilient as individuals and therefore become, as leaders, make more resilient teams by the practice of mindfulness? Yes, 100%. Mm. Because essentially it's situational awareness externally and it internally. So regardless of whether we're mindful or not, there's always an internal situation with what's happening with us and there's always an external one. And the more mindful we become, the more aware we become, the smarter and more astute our choices as leaders will be. Yeah, and it, it, it strikes me that someone like Viktor Frankl, you know, understood in between stimulus and response is that space and in that space is our power to choose. But also... It seems to me that the ancients, and in particular, I, I guess, not just the Greeks, but, um, and I know you, you talk of your heritage as well, you know, it seems that the Indian heritage, you know, they really understood that, that mindfulness. Yes, absolutely. Really philosophically, actually, in terms of, you know, the Bhagavad Gita, which is the ancient, it's like the Bible, the equivalent in Hinduism, you know, says things like that life is a game, play it. You know, we're all a bit like Shakespeare. We're all characters on a stage. We're all merely just actors, you know, acting out life. Um, and that's not to say it flippantly, but I think it's about that detachment and understanding that beyond what's happening and our reactivity to life, there's a real opportunity to play and to leverage, mm. which is how I apply it in the work that I do. It's not. It's not about sitting and wearing an orange robe and going to the Himalayas to meditate for two weeks. <laughs> it's about how mindful are you being? How astute are you being in order to leverage from that situation right now? So it's worth any leader's while, I would say. Yeah, and you, you didn't just stumble upon mindfulness, did you? Like this is something deeply ingrained mm -hmm. in you from, from a, a family connection or, or, or from heritage. Yeah, so um, I was uh, predominantly raised by my grandmother who – moved to England when my mum was pregnant with me and my parents were you know immigrant parents they were working hard day and night seven days a week and um, so my grandmother raised my brother and I and she meditated twice a day for 30 years and um, so she would make us meditate but she brought home a, a hell of a lot of wisdom with her that she instilled and I shared a room with her until I was 13 out of choice because it was so close to her she was like She's like my mum. And so, you know, little did I know that every story she was sharing, every perspective she was sharing was just layering up a bit of a foundation around that spiritual growth and insight that I realised my peers and friends just, and even grown-ups, adult, grown-up adults didn't have. Uh, and I think it's what actually propelled me into studying psychology and going down the route that I did. Mum, to... Tell us a little bit more about your grandmother. Obviously, she's an amazing influence in your life and it probably did set you down this particular path. But tell us a little bit about her and, and why uh, and why she's had such an effect on, on you. So, yeah, she, she lived a, a really interesting life. So she was born and brought up in Sindh, which is uh, which was formerly India and then was... Uh, you know, uh, then she had to leave because there was a partition between Pakistan and India. And she came from a family who had, had a, lot, a lot of wealth. So they owned perfume shops and sugar mills, etc. So she lived quite a glamorous life uh, when she was little and she had to leave it all behind 
um, as a refugee to go to India. And so that for her was an experience and a half having lived that kind of life with drivers and people holding umbrellas up for you to then not having any of that. Um, despite that, she, you know, got married and had my mom and, um, but then was widowed at a very young age and lived with her in-laws, uh, in, in India. And that's pretty normal. So you typically in a, in a traditional Indian family, you would move in with your in-laws, which wasn't so much fun for her because she was just by herself a widow and so she saw a lot in her life and um, then came to England when my mum was pregnant with me because they just need an extra pair of hands, really. And my, my grandma said, if you don't if you don't rescue me now, you might you might never see me again. So I actually think she was quite suicidal on reflection. You know, she was just a very alone. Um, and so she came to England and, you know, she was she was um, so, uh, you know, she did study. So she was um, able to to get a very basic, basic job to earn a state pension. Um, and so she, she would get a bus to this job and then she found this meditation centre around the corner from our house. And she was such a character because she'd hitchhike the milkman um, and people on the way back from their clubbing nights out to give her a lift to the meditation centre. And sometimes I'd open the door at 8 o'clock in the morning to go to school and there'd be a, a, like a... I'd hear the bass from a car, you know, the bass when someone's playing the music really loud and like a lower down black tinted out BMW or Mercedes. And I'm like, who is outside our house? And there'd be some like young chap who's, who she's just hailed down on the road to bring her back from the meditation centre. So she was quite a character. She was fearless. Mm. Um, she was fearless. She, uh, you know, she was wise. She, she'd say things like talk little, draw much, which basically means, you know, just observe don't talk, just see what's going on and interpret and then make a call. So she was teaching us strategies that my parents, bless them, didn't have the time of day or even the emotional maturity to be able to embed. And, you know, she was, she'd sort of, um, give, look, I could go on all day, yeah, so stop me when you want to with the next question. Um, but, you know, she'd give sweets to the, she was known as a sweet lady. She she gives sweets to everybody and um, sweets to the postman, sweets to the milkman, sweets to the teachers, the school kids. We had a few par parents complain actually that my grandma was handing out sweets <laughs> to their kids, um, but she was just such a a gorgeous lady. <laughs> I want to meet her. Bram was talking a little bit before about the space between stimulus and response. It's a Victor Frankl uh, quote. I noticed on one of your affirmation cards, you've got something very similar about it being a choice. What are your thoughts around, you know, being mindful when you have that stimulus and then prior to, to your choice? Mm, I always think we have a choice on the mindset that we take and the perspective that we take on absolutely anything. And some things that we go through in life are just unfathomable and we just think, why, why is this happening to me, you know? How, is, how can I even process this situation? Uh, but I do believe that uh, we always have a choice about how we see things. So we can either choose to see it as an enabler or something that is, isn't an enabler. Mm -hmm. And um, we can extract the learning. So some painful things can happen. You think you can ask yourself, what am I learning? Not what am I losing? What am I learning? How am I gaining from this? Why is this a great thing that's happened? Mm -hmm. You know, what opportunity is this giving me yeah, and having a having a bias for and positivity helps, doesn't it? Sure, and it's not just about you know being in denial over the realities of your mistake or whatever's happened. It's not dismissing mm. it. That's what not what I'm advocating here. It's about acknowledging it, and I think this is the important thing um, to not forget. It's like we have to process our emotions because they are real and they are valid. But very quickly, it's about pivoting into okay, what can I get from this? How yep. can I learn from this? How is this? serving me and everybody else. As someone who understands meditation as deeply as you do, that has been brought up with it and also has drawn a link between meditation and psychology into the future. Now, I've got a lot of friends who say to me, oh, my meditation is running or my meditation is swimming or cycling. And, and then I say, well, I, I don't think it is the same thing. I know you can get a runner's high, but I don't think it's the same as deeply meditating am i am i right in saying that to these people or, or are they right in they've found a source of meditation in going for a long run so med meditation really is a state of being and it's a state of just being 
consciously aware of what's happening with you right now. Mm. And so if your friends are running or swimming or partaking in something that takes their mind away from the thoughts, almost like clouds that are passing by in their mind of what they're thinking and how they're feeling, then in a sense, that is that is meditate, you know, that's meditative practice, that's mindfulness. Mm. And so, yes, you can absolutely class it as um, as meditation. In fact, I came across some interesting research recently around um, riding motorcycles and how riding people who rode on motorcycles and people who, who go on their bike away like and drive and um, ride their motorcycle into the mountains or wherever, it doesn't matter where you are, but for long drives, mm. um, it enables healing of trauma. Mm. so there's real healing and so that and that happens when you meditate because your mind is is somewhere else it's not fixated or going into a rabbit hole about your current situation or things that maybe are playing on your mind that's really interesting um after my first tour to afghanistan i came home and bought a motorbike off-road bike and then rode it all around the york peninsula for two weeks um just camping, so that was pretty cool. So yeah, I can I can absolutely relate to that. Um, before we get I rode, on, uh, sorry, I, I rode my I rode my Harley around uh, Australia, uh, one or nearly yeah. nearly nearly two times, and I I have to say, uh, doing that really does have that sort of uh, yeah. almost hypnotic effect when you're doing long distances and the rhythm of of um, mm. I've never really thought about it until you've mentioned it, mm. but you, you're ex- you're exactly correct because it does have that feeling, and I think uh, those that have done long rides or you know extensive rides through hills and those sorts of things, they, they get into this rhythm where you are almost in in a state. Yeah, you're in a moment. Yeah, for sure. I've heard surfing's quite mm. similar. Mm. Mm. Yes, exactly, and skiing as well. Right. Golf. All the yeah, things well. I'm awesome at. Yeah. Um, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> before we get on to you know <laughs> breath work and vitality, I thought maybe from a leadership perspective we might talk about authenticity, and because there's some real movements at the moment in the leadership um, theory space about people not having a disconnected self and being more authentic in the workplace, so they're bringing their home persona to work and vice versa. And I'm not really sure how comfortable I am with that, although I'm I'm trying it. I'm just wondering, do you, do you think leaders should be authentic or do you, like truly authentic at work or should they be more guarded and find that balance of, especially if the workplace values perhaps don't necessarily align with their own? Yeah, I'd love your thoughts on that. Yeah, so my, my philosophy is that we are not robots. We are not human robots. We are human beings. And so, you know, there is this... Um, there is a subject within occupational psychology that I was fascinated by called spillover. And so this is the degree of spillover of work into your personal life and the degree of spillover of your personal life into work. And it's, it's a, there's a fine line because how can you suddenly get to the doors of your organization or whether even if you're working from home and you start interacting with others or within your work and put on, put on a hat that's very different to who you are outside of that my my view is that authenticity is being at your best and it's it's you not having to try and be something that you're not to fit into a space that's not aligned with who you are it's about you having confidence in who you are so that the place that you're in adjusts to who you are and you know I understand that Sometimes that just doesn't work. And I think there's a message in that and that maybe that organization isn't right for you. You know, maybe that culture is is taking something away from you as opposed to energizing you and letting you be even more awesome at what you do well. Yeah, no, that's great. And, I'm, I'm, you know, how do we bring authenticity from from home actually when you step over that, that uh, I, I guess, that thoroughfare is it in the examples that we set? Is it the values that we espouse? Or is it, is it purely in the things that, we, that people can see us do and hear us say? Or is it just being completely transparent? I'm, I, I guess I'm at a bit of a loss. Yeah, so how, how would you be authentic? So I think the way, and, and I guess what's something to add on to, to my answer before, in that if we want to be around people that are authentic, 
which intuitively for everyone feels good and you feel like you can trust others when they are being their full authentic selves you know heart I talk about in my TED talk around that's your intuition and I think we just know when people are being inauthentic we don't like it but I think we need to ask ourselves how authentic are we being so um, in answer to your question Brown, the way that we do that first and foremost is really checking in with ourselves how am I feeling and what am I thinking what's going on for me and not having the pressure placed on yourself to create a a beautiful Hollywood example of what that might be. Mm. So actually I'm feeling quite frustrated and it's for these reasons. And just being able to feel comfortable and courageous enough to, sh- to be that vulnerable. So I think it's very endearing. It's an attractive quality. Mm. I encourage it in all my clients. Um, and I try to practice it myself more so than ever. Um, it's not easy uh, when, you know, when you have, when we have a lot of, pressure placement us to be perfect or to be this shining example of how people need to behave for example so i think it's about checking in with yourself and um you know just being comfortable to be okay with not being okay and just owning your owning your state so choosing how you show up and if you're struggling to show up in that way sharing it so look guys I had an intention of being super hyper today and motivated and you know um, really propelling the sales whatever it might be but actually I'm just feeling quite heavy right now because of xyz and what I found in the practice of my work um, and also my own personal life is I like to practice what I preach I just don't like to advocate it and not give it a go so I found that when you share these feelings that you sort of hesitate sharing and thoughts they sort of dissipate in that moment. It's it's amazing how they just suddenly things become a bit better and you create the space to be who you are right. and then you 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 move into how you want to be so what you're aspiring to be like. So name it to tame it. Name it to tame it. Love that. Yes. Yeah, you okay. get you You'll get, write it down. You get cl- <laughs> you get clarity. Um, I think when you. Um, I've said often um, that thoughts disentangle themselves over lips and fingertips and, um, you know, writing things down and speaking it uh, certainly does help get that. And that's not my saying, by the way, but it does allow you to get that sort of clarity, I think, talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, vitality. This was the bit of your TEDx talk that absolutely floored me I think and it's because you started it with okay everyone just start breathing and I'm like oh my god what's this going to be about let's all start breathing I've been doing that for 47 years Um, but I didn't realise how our breath is linked to mindfulness um, and then how it's actually linked to everything and I guess I should have known this because it is something that's uh, powerful. I think we will research this more, Trent and I, around human optimization because I just don't think we learn enough about breath work and and how to hold your breath for long periods and and what it means and what it can do for your vitality. I know vitality is so much more than just breath work, but can we talk about the breath um, breath work first? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, in in Sanskrit, they the word for breath is, is is prana which basically means life force energy and then you know in in um east other eastern cultures it's chi which again means means life life force energy so essentially every cell in our body carries a little bit of oxygen and our breath has been with us as we know since we were born and it will be with us till our dying day but we don't give it the the time or the energy or uh, the attention that it truly deserves it's one function that we can absolutely control. But often what happens is our circumstances and the way we react to life is controlling our breath. So if you visualize almost like a kite flying in the sky, being our thoughts or our feelings or our current situation, our breath is a string. So if we get carried away with that, then the string goes higher and our breath gets shallow or we stop breathing. Sometimes I notice that I'm not really breathing. And then what happens is that toxic air that you breathe that you breathe in that's in your body, the carbon dioxide that needs to come out is trapped. And what happens to your brain is your brain starts to go into survival, into fight or flight, very, at a very mild subconscious level, but that's essentially what happens. And so what I encourage people to do, I do it with my kids as well, is just breathe out. So if you are, if you ever find yourself in a state of just a, uh, 
utter overwhelm. It happens to all of us. You know, you might be trying to do something and it's not happening in a way you want it to happen. Breathe out like you're blowing out candles on a cake. And then really reconfigure and reset the way that you breathe to regain control of that string, to regain control of that kite, and to regain ultimately the control of yourself because our breath serves all of the cells in our body and all of who we are. Mm. And so some of the breathing techniques are, are the box breathing techniques. So three, uh, in for three, hold for three, out for three. Have I got that right? Something like that. Yeah, I think it's in for two. I think it's in for three, hold for two, out for four. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll research this yeah. more and we'll put it in the show notes. And yeah, I mean, I love breathing. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> second only to sleep. <laughs> And I know you're uh-huh. a big advocate for people getting more sleep as well. And we, we have a, a saying on, uh, in the Warrior You podcast, which is sleep is a weapon and that we should rearm often. Um, what are your thoughts around, um, around sleep? Yeah, I think sleep is really underestimated and we need it more than anything right now in this day and age of noise and, and activity. Uh, and we can incorporate breathing in our sleep as well and a simple practical way that you can do it. And, you know, there's so many different kinds of breathing out there. I, I believe in just really simplifying it all and making it accessible for the layman. And so just breathing in, I am, and say I am in your mind, holding it for a second or two and then breathe out relaxed. The more anxious, worried, negative you are feeling say i am relaxed slower so you breathe in i am hold for a couple of seconds and then relax so if you're fine it's i am relaxed Mm. i am relaxed and that re-regulates your breathing and i think in bringing it back to sleep i encourage uh, people to uh, to my clients to take a couple of and i do it myself and it's amazing 10 ujjayi breaths as they're going to sleep. So when you've when you've got your duvet on you and you're just going, you're just feeling sleepy, take 10 ujjayi breaths. So ujjayi breaths are almost like, um, it's like, it sounds a bit like a snore. So the breath goes in deep through your nose to the back of your mouth and then out through your nose again. And that's such a deep breath that it almost just like flushes everything out of your, your body that doesn't need to be there. All the toxins need to come out through your breath. And it sends you into a deep state of sleep. And I would encourage at the very minimum seven to eight hours sleep a night, having a nighttime ritual that doesn't really change as, as much as you can help it. I think particularly with lockdown and the pandemic happening, like we're not going anywhere for a while anyway. So this is a good thing that we can start doing and not eating food by, uh, I mean, after sort of, 8.30, if we can help it any later, that is really too late. So our body needs to digest it all and rest as well. It's been active the whole day. So our body also needs the time to just reconfigure. And, um, and yeah, I would say get a good night's sleep, have that ritual, dim the lights, put your phone on airplane mode, put it away at least an hour before you're going to bed. And um, don't look at it until at least an hour after you wake up. Heaps of water before you sleep or herbal tea if you can. Heaps when you wake up. And it's just simple things like that that either make your day 100% effective or or not at all if you're not doing it in the right way. Yeah. And Mamta, you know, we've got this lovely psychologist who does mindfulness talking to what is primarily, I guess, a podcast that has a lot of you know, people in there looking for warrior mindsets. And it just strikes me that the warriors of the past, and I mean true, true, true warriors, that they think about how to get optimization to, into their lives in every way. And if we're now saying, if you're, if you're delivering this message saying, hey, breathe better, sleep better, Stop looking at your phone at mm-hmm. nighttime in your bed for 30 minutes and then thinking you're going to get a good night's sleep because your brain just doesn't turn off like that. And so if the, for the people who are listening to this, you know, don't take my word for it. Take a, a psychologist's word for it who actually studies these things and, and, and looks at it from a perspective of a, of, a, of a warrior being mindful and understanding. And, you know, and I mean, warrior, this is what I wanted to ask you about too because what, the word warrior gets a really bad rap. And it has lately in, in Australia for sure. But I think modern warriors are, are people who are mindful and they, they look at being better humans and, 
and leading um, really meaningful and intentional lives. I'm, I'm just wondering if you if you think there's a place in in our in our modern culture for the term warrior, even. Um, yeah. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Yeah, I think that definitely the more enlightened approach right now is the approach that wins. You know, in the olden days, it was like banging your fists on the table and getting your way, and that was respected because you were making traction and you were reaching your goals and you were earning, et cetera. You were clearly successful from the outset. However, now it's about the relationship. Now it's about how enlightened you are. It's about how enigmatically you can take people with you and um, engage in creating win-win situations not leaving people feeling like they got the, you know, they got the the hard deal. So, I do believe that a real warrior will be very respectful, mindful, caring, and um, empowering. Firstly, for themselves, foremost, so they 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 show up. They don't just arrive at the hustle and be willing to fight. How am I showing up? Being truly responsible, and then having the having the awareness and also the aspiration to take others with them on that journey of warriorship yeah. by imparting their way and who they are. Yeah. I do think that a warrior's first weapon should be empathy. Trent, do you, do you think the same thing, mate? Yeah, um, I absolutely agree with that. And while I've been listening to this conversation around uh, a warrior's mindfulness – it sort of struck me that we, I think we all used to know this. Mm. And in modern society, you know, I, I, and when I say modern, I mean over the last 120 years or so, you know, modern warfare. Uh, it strikes me that we've kind of um, lost an element of that or probably it almost in its entirety and certainly in the Western world um, to a large extent mm. uh, in the pursuit of technology and, you know, other, uh, other aspects to get um, uh, to, to become successful in warfare. Mm. And, um, you know, I sort of go back to my first statement. I think that we used to know this intrinsically and, and maybe there's something in this to, to regain this mindfulness around a warrior culture, which, which as Bram said, in Australia has got a particularly bad rap at the moment. Mm. But there is, there is an aspect of this warrior culture that is, that is now missing in modern warfare. And it's the right warrior co- culture, I mm. think, that needs to return because... That is around, that speaks to values and self-development and the ethical conduct of warfare. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I was reading something earlier around, you know, what a mindful leader or warrior would look like. And I, and I love this. And it's, it's very simple. It's about, you know, if there's a pie, you don't divide the pie up between, between whoever's there. You expand the pie. Mm. And that is a real modern warrior mindset. So how do you expand the pie? How do you innovate? How do you create with what you have? Not just, okay, I'm getting that bit, you're getting that bit. Because that's a very, that comes from a lack mentality. Mm. You know, there's not enough for all of us. Mm. Whereas a true warrior will think about how can we, how can we make this even bigger so we're all gaining. Mm. Yeah, and I, I really loved what you, what you said on your TED talk around exercise as well and the release of the endorphins that that creates and how that resets your mind. And I think that's one thing. That's definitely one thing that our listenership has, in, has, in, uh, has right. You know, they do understand. Well, one, one of the specific things that we definitely have nailed is the fact that they all understand that, mm-hmm. that exercise is a great way to, to reset their frames of reference and to, and, to, um, and to help them be more in the moment. Um, and I know that you, you've probably experienced that yourself. Yeah, because, you know, with our energy, our energy 
is infinite. Our time is finite. So things like exercise, things like spiritual um, practices and rituals, emotional practices and rituals, mental practices and rituals, and physical, obviously, they re-energize us and give us Mm. that bulk of energy so that we can keep going despite time running out our energy is topped up and sustained Mm. so i think that um i think that yeah we we must be very mindful of not just doing the exercises a lot of people get that right now like you say a lot of people know that they do it they've got their routine we've got it in the schedule and it's happening um however much time it is but actually how often how much time are you spending reflecting on how you're feeling and what you're thinking Mm. You know, you don't have to sit in a field and make daisy chains. <laughs> I think we need to disassociate with yeah. how we, yeah. um, what we think about in relation to spirituality and emotional check-ins, yeah. uh, because we need we need to do that. And I think a lot of burnout happens when people neglect that those elements of vitality. So this this uh, this has come from the Harvard Business uh, School. They have a paper on um, it's called "Get in Shape to Lead." Okay. So, um, you know, that we need to top up our four elements of vitality yeah. because energy is, is, is infinite. So that's what great leaders do. But we neglect the mental, we neglect the spiritual, we neglect the emotional. Mm. So, so Mamta, uh, if, if you could, you, you mentioned, um, I just picked up on a word that you, that you just used then around burnout. Tell us about if you can, what your thoughts are around mindfulness and, and does that contribute to burnout? I mean, we're all working, we're all working uh, hard. Um, we're all trying to um, deliver for our organisations and there's, you know, there's people, there's people in my life uh, struggling with that at the moment. What would you say to them? Yeah, it's the counter, actually. So mindfulness uh, prevents burnout because you're able to pick up on the red flags that your body and your mind is subtly giving you along the way. And, you know, um, I mean, it happened to me personally where I ignored so many red flags. Uh, One morning I woke up after my third child. My husband had kindly bought me a cup of tea and she was a month old, my my third child. And um, I woke up and I, I had a sip of the tea and it, something felt very off. And um, the tea just dribbled down my face. Half of my face was paralyzed. Oh, no. So um, I'm 100% recovered now, thank the Lord. But I was told I wouldn't recover. And that had happened because Miss Perfect psychologists over here had neglected her emotional mental oh why not so much mental because mental is stimulated but emotional and spiritual mm. health and boundaries to the point where i had had many red flags along the way mm. and um and then woke up to that situation and and so when people say they haven't got time i get it because i was there yeah. i was one of those people who said they didn't have time but having seen firsthand and experienced, you know, having a hundred acupuncture needles put in my face, so desperately get me better, um, and various other treatments, and seeing my clients get to the point where there's potential cancer scares and things like that, and I'm not sharing this to, you know, I'm not sharing this to scare anybody. I'm just sharing it because this is the reality of of what what we're facing now as a consequence of not not having enough time of neglecting our mental uh, and emotional and spiritual health. These mm. things ca- can happen to fit and healthy people who mm. think they know it all, you know, who, who look like they know it all, yeah. who are the thought leaders on the subject. But we're not invincible. Oh, gosh. We're not robots. This is, this, I mean, this is, me. this, is, this is me all over. Um, both Trent and I are, you know, raising new business. It's a, it's over, you know, it, and we feel we feel the same, the same way. But in fact, I just went camping on the weekend with my sons. I got hit in the head with a tent pole, smashed a rear tail light, didn't catch wow. any fish. Had to change a, had to change a tire and listen to heavy metal for an hour and a half with my two sons. And uh, and I feel I feel really energized today. Who would have thought? All the stuff that went wrong really could have nice. gone wrong. But um, it was all about showing them that I'm not going to lose my mind at every single setback that we had. And it's like whatever higher being is out there was like showing me, hey, here's all your setbacks I can give you. What, now, what have you got? Um, but, yeah, I, I do think that, you know, having that, 
being mindful in the moment and perhaps not responding to that stimulus. I heard you say something incredible, actually. I wrote it down. Let me see if I can find it. Um, I think it was something along the lines of if you're easily triggered or easily provoked, then that means you're easy to control. Yes, absolutely. Um, Because, you know, life is triggering. Mm. Everything's triggering. We could be bothered by so many things, and I think if we spend – so much time, attention, and energy, and focus on responding to those triggers. Where's our grounding at? You know, how grounded are we? How how confident are we to be able to respond to a situation if mm. we're jarred by it? We're really not. Mm. So, um, and this is this is detachment. I think this is one thing that my grandmother really embeds uh, in me and my brother, like that groundedness and nothing should be able to shake you. Look, I had to leave barefoot the riches that my dad had created. Yet they had gold bars in the cellar downstairs. They had to leave it all behind. Um, you know, and, and not that that's everything, but obviously coming from a life that she once knew to be, you know, amazing to then going to not very much to really poverty, actually. Yeah. The address um, for of this her, no, I know, I know. One day I will go back. But yeah, you know, it's, yeah. and I think this, this, it's just that material things, mm. um, other people's opinions, judgments, perspectives, and what life will inevitably throw at us. Um, that's an inevitable, you know, but does it really mean anything in the grand scheme of things if it's taking away from our peace of mind? I don't know. I don't know if anything's really, if anything really deserves that deserves that status so we are at our best when we know that yeah I didn't really like that that made me feel uncomfortable that was a boundary cross right there and but not reacting what am I going to do about it what choices have I got in this moment right now and you might still feel like you you don't have any choices reflect take your time you know, it's not like you're controlling a spaceship that's going, well, you might be actually going off to space or something in that moment where you have to, oh, what am I going to do? You know, we could come away from everything and yeah. come back to it now, with a fresh perspective. Chris, Chris Hadfield, if you are listening to this, she wasn't meaning you, but we know that you listen to the podcast. So you may be controlling, you may be controlling <laughs> Sorry, Chris. spaceship. Sorry, Chris. Um, I know Trent wants to ask you about Eastern practice, <laughs> practices and Western um, methodology because he... Um, he, he wrote it down before and was flagging it for me. So so I guess, I mean, we've already spoken a little bit about uh, your influences and, uh, and, and I'm sure you've got a lot of academic influences, but how do you blend and reconcile the Eastern practices with, you know, Western modern philosophy? You know, what linkages exist between those two philosophies or those two, I guess, different systems? Um, can, you, can you talk to us about that? Yeah, it's a really, really interesting question. I think the bridge is actually actually mindfulness, and ah. um, I'm just I was just laughing to myself because um, when I worked corporately in house for Lucas Age, Ribena Centuri, um, they used to call me the corporate Dalai Lama um, because I would bring in <laughs> lots of things and I'd encourage them to to do meditation. I actually bought a meditation teacher because everyone's burnt out and angry um, and mm. stressed, and so. You know, we just we did breath work and just becoming mindful. And we, we you know, I created a program called um, Authentic Leadership, which was, you know, am I, how am I showing up? Am I triggered or not? If I'm triggered, what can I do about it? Mm. How can I resolve that state of being? And, you know, that is in Buddhism and Hinduism, detachment. That's compassionate detachment. It's, it's not about not caring. Oh, you guys do what you want. I'm all right over, over here in this corner. I've got my own back. It's about knowing that, Things are difficult. There's an elephant in the room, but it's okay. Like, it's okay. I'm not going to let that elephant grate me. I will observe it. and But also I will know and I will have the confidence and faith to know that that is going to pass. That is also going to pass. Mm. And so what I do, and it's, it's, it's so hard, Trent, because it's kind of nestled really discreetly in my DNA, the blend between the two having been brought up by my grandmother and then studying psychology and my you know, delving into then later the Buddhism and the Eastern, Eastern philosophy, et cetera, and bringing, linking it all together. It, the biggest things are mindfulness, compassion, compassionate detachment. Um, ego is massive. We haven't spoken about ego yet. So, um, you know, 
the ego is the enemy. There is a book out there called The Ego is the, is the Enemy. And it, uh, and Ryan it is. And Holiday. I think it's that. Ryan Holiday. Yeah. Mm. The ego can play havoc. It mm. can it can create a prison in the mind when the mind is really a garden. So how do we manage the ego mind? And Hinduism does talk a lot about the ego because the ego drives behaviors around, you know, think around things at shallow superficial levels. Mm. Um, and so it's looking beyond that. Obviously we like to have nice things, you know, I have a vision board full of Chanel handbags and things <laughs> like that, but I also have, yeah, like, you know, a candle on yeah. it, <laughs> you know, I always yeah. have a candle on it and like other things that, that really represent just looking at it right now, tranquility and inner peace. So it's being very aware is where is this coming from? Is this my ego or is this, um, or is this something else? Who am I doing this for? If nobody was watching, would I still want to do this? Would I still be saying this? Yeah. So that is, I think that is another one of the bridges between the East and the West. It's, Mm. it's that ego mindset. And I love how everyone's catching on now that it's all becoming its own new, newfound wisdom in itself. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's something missing in me, but I, I quite often, um, and attracted isn't the right word, maybe drawn drawn to people who who talk about and, and live that sort of yoga, that sort of yoga lifestyle. They seem very calm and grounded to me, which is completely the opposite to, to probably the way that I live my life. My life's quite frantic. Actually, I, I do have a question for you around... Not so much yoga, but people who have anxiety or feel like they have anxiety. Is is there any mindfulness strategies to be able... Because it is a very particular problem. But is there any mindfulness strategies around people who have anxiety or, or feel like they're anxious at times? Yes, definitely. There's so many. How long have you got? Um, I think I'll share with you what, what I haven't mentioned so far um, in this conversation. I think... Um, you know, neuro-linguistic programming, um, NLP, is, is, is fascinating and very helpful with anxiety. So what I pick out from, from an NLP technique is uh, slowing your mental videotape down. So if you're feeling anxious, just consciously slowing down how you experience what's going on outside of you. So what's happening right now? Let me look at it in real slow motion okay, there's people over there, there's a bit of noise coming from there, the birds are chirping, and so suddenly you become mindful, and then you calm down within yourself. Your, your brain goes from thinking overload to, to emotionally balanced, so you're not drowning with thought or rash, you know, rational or emotional thinking, you're, you're subsiding. It's like pushing a beach ball underwater and the ball just comes up and you think, oh, okay, what's around me is okay. I'm in control of this. And mm. I'd say affirmations are super powerful. Science has proven that um, by affirming daily, like even something as simple as I've got this, the universe has my back, um, this too will pass. I'm grounded in peace and calm, builds our emotional resiliency to threat, to perceive threat. Um, so just saying those affirmations as you slow your mental videotape down. Something else that I personally use that I absolutely love is either you lie down on the grass or you stand up barefoot on the grass. And if you grass, and if you can't do that, then a stone floor will do, or even carpet doesn't really matter. But you stand yeah. firm, or you lie down firm. You visualize roots coming out of your feet. If you mm. can't lie down, maybe at work, maybe you sit out somewhere. Visualize roots coming down from your feet or your body, with poles at the end of those roots going to the core of the earth. Mm. They're just pulling you down. And feeling, so sending your breath to the pit of your stomach, which is basically the, the, the neuro pathway where all of our cells will meet and cross over. So sending your breath consciously. And, and you know, it's been found in yoga and science that when you consciously send breath to a, a place in your body, it goes there. Yeah. So this is why paying attention to our body and those red flags is super important. It doesn't take an hour. It takes two seconds. Where do I need my breath today to go? Maybe it's your heart, maybe it's your throat, maybe it's your belly. So sending your breath to your belly, which when you're anxious, it's typically a lot of it's there, to give you that inner grounding on your root chakra. So that's the, you know, right at the bottom base of your spine. Mm. And when you send your breath there, 10 deep breaths in and out, 10 deep breaths consciously, I am relaxed or I am grounded. And, you know, what do I notice? So you can say, I notice that I'm, you use your senses, I can see this, I can smell this, I can mm. taste this, I can feel this, etc. I can hear this. And um, the last thing I want to share on that is 
anxiety goes when it's turned into action. So how can I turn, a, a question that I often ask myself is how can I turn my anxiety into action? What can I do right now? What's the baby step that I can take right now? Because often anxiety is created when we're either in the past or in the future. Mm. And we're not right now. So when we, when we ask ourselves that question, it goes into a different room in our, in our brain. We're like, okay, I was here and it's really worrying. It's very stressful. The door that I'm going into now is what, what can I do about it? Right. What's the first step I can take? What's the baby step? Not in six months. But right now, yeah. and that often helps to bring us back to home base. I really like that. Anxiety is either in the past or the future. It's not right now. That's that's quite helpful just in itself. And I really liked everything you said around around the breathing and, you know, standing in the grass and being grounded. That started to work for me, but then I started to think about the medical advice that I've been given all through my army career about um, hookworms, Trent, going through your feet. <laughs> <laughs> and I was triggered. <laughs> but uh, that's you uh, can disassociate look, compassionately. Look, yeah, anxiety is rooted in the past. Yeah, now I'm now now I'm anxious about being barefoot in the grass. Um, <laughs> Wear socks <laughs> or just visualize it. Do you do you have any do you have any mentors, Mumta, at all? I have some great mentors in my life. People who don't even know that they are my mentors. And these aren't people that are necessarily related to my industry, but people who are in my life, who are my cheerleaders, that guide me, that encourage me, they support me, and they are there for me to lean on uh, when I feel lost or like I need some direction. So um, there's a peer of mine who actually... I met when I was lecturing at Murdoch University, Kiri, who is like the absolute rational sounding board and such an astute woman who just is able to take my overwhelm and simplify it and and send me on my way with clarity, which (laughs) I, I don't know how she does it. And there's also Nita, uh, a dear friend of mine who again is is so astute and clear and objective and is able to provide some direction when I'm feeling conflicted or lost or low in confidence she's able to give me such a great boost and then there's Joanne who is actually my sister-in-law's mother. <laughs> and she is like a lighthouse. She is the most amazing lighthouse and cheerleader that I know and have in my life. I feel really understood by her. And, and I think that sometimes that's all you need. You need a sounding board you need someone who's not going to judge you someone who's going to be able to help to unravel your you know complicated confused thoughts and lay them out in front of you and say hey that's that's really good that's a really good idea and you should definitely do it because this is worth your while and yeah so I am extremely grateful to have these three strong women in my life and there are many more who, many more people who I learn from. So there's Oprah and I love her story and how she keeps on going and how hungry she is to drive her purpose in the world. Richard Branson, despite his dyslexia, he has achieved so much and he's very honest and very vulnerable and open about what he can do and what he can't do. And, and I just think that's a really refreshing trait of a leader. So lots of Direct and indirect mentoring has really helped me personally and both professionally to get to where I am today. You've previously said that the book Creative Visualization by Shakti Gawain uh, changed your life. Why is that? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Because I created my the life that I'm living and life that I've lived, gosh, since, I, since that book mm. fell into my hands, I've consciously created that life that I've wanted, and I live by it. Um, I live by that creative visualization. You, you know what question is coming. Everything I have in my life is what I visualize. You know what? what you know what question's coming oh, now. No. What is it? Mom have to... I got the Chanel handbag yet? Okay, here we go. <laughs> Final question to round out what's been an amazing, and I'm very thankful for Incredible. your time. I'm really, really thankful for you giving us your energy. But final question, um, free will. In, in your opinion, do we have free will as humans or is there a force that just leads us on our path and, and we can't do anything about it? I think that I believe in free will. Yes. I believe in free will. Absolutely. Yes, yes I do. Uh, really, Humble. 100%. Okay. That's great. Yes. That's fantastic. <laughs> we're, we're starting to keep a tally during this season. Um, it's a question that I'm asking. <laughs> okay. And, um, yeah. But you, Trent, do you believe in free will? Yeah, I absolutely do. Mm. Yeah, I 100%. do. I do. I do too. I think we, and I think that that, that book, um, Creative... Uh, visualization i think that probably helped you to yeah or was that part of the journey and you were just meant to find it and then this is oh here we go we're going down a rabbit hole no because do you know what everything in my life it was a complete opposite to what i visualized mm. and i basically manifested even the ted talk a year before 1999 was it 19 no yeah, 2019. See, I don't even know which year I'm in because I'm so wow. mindful. Where, where am I? Uh, <laughs> in 2019, I had, I had said to a client that one day I want to give a TED Talk mm. and I will give a TED Talk. Well, and yeah, you knocked it out of the park. Late, I was invited. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's really good. It's one of my favourites. Um, hey, thank you so much. Just, just before we wrap up, uh, and I know we asked one final question, but where, where can we go to find more information, uh, Mum, to, you know, how does everyone find you after this? So um, you can go on my website, so mumtasaha.com. Um, I'd encourage everyone to download my free ebook, uh, which is 10 pages long, but deeply insightful with lots of reflective questions. So it will help you grow and just help you address your leadership shadows, you know, areas of weakness that you may not have realized that you have, but you provide an opportunity to go i'm on um linkedin so mom to saha and um ig saha underscore mom to. i also have a podcast as well. i'd love to have you guys on my podcast um so my podcast is saha mindset so saha actually means healthy so oh, i call my podcast saha mindset oh look at yeah. you look at that that's awesome <laughs> yeah i know we would I'm love married into the saha. we would love to come on your podcast and i think you know, a lot of what it's very interesting because a lot of what we talk about with the invisible backpack and leadership as an energy transference and creating team resilience, a lot of that really does come down to empathy and mindfulness. And we're certainly not psychologists by any stretch of the imagination, but we do have a behavioral scientist as part of our team and an organizational psych who you know. And so I think that, yeah, I think we would love that. Let's make it happen. Amazing. Well, I look forward to it. Well, thank you very much for being a guest on the Warrior You podcast. Um, as, I, as I said before, Trent and I are very, you know, very happy that you've made the time for us. And uh, I wish you all the best in your journey, in your mindfulness journey. And I know that our listeners will probably take a bit more of a look now at mindfulness as, as part of human optimization and resilience for their own lives. So thank you, Mumta. Thank you so much, Bram. Thank you so much, Trent. It's been an absolute pleasure and I'm happy to answer any questions that your listeners might have, anything at all. Feel free to drop me a line. Thanks very much and good luck with your book as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care, guys. Thanks very much for listening, gang. Our pre-recording producers are the amazing team at Talent and Truth. Special thanks to Sabine and Samantha. Caitlin Swallow as our post-production editor. Thanks to Jess Bunker for research. If you like what you heard, please follow, download and subscribe. There's a weekly blog on the Warrior U website and a fortnightly newsletter that you can sign up to at hindsightleadership.com. That's all one word. Thank you for listening to the Warrior U podcast presented by Hindsight Leadership and Resilience.